Well, can I just say what a privilege it is to be with you here this morning in Passage West. And if you weren't able to join us yesterday morning, I bring uh, greetings from Hamilton Road Baptist Church and the Irish Baptist College. Passage West has been a church very close to our hearts in Hamilton Road for many years since we first started to get to know Shane, uh, this lovely young Irish guy that used to appear in Bangor uh, once or twice a year. And it's great to have developed a partnership with Shane over these last years. And great to have Peter and Peyton Carrigan down, who in a sense we sent from Hamilton Road uh, over a year ago to be with you and to join in the ministry. So it's just a real delight and a privilege to be with you. And if you weren't there with us yesterday, we're in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, what has happened is that the Lord Jesus Christ has gone up, the Holy Spirit has come down, and the disciples have gone out. That, you could say, is the second half of the book of Acts in a nutshell. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone up. He's now the ascended, risen Lord, standing at the right hand of the Father. As he promised in the upper room in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, he says, I'm going to send another counselor who's going to lead you, who's going to guide you, who's going to equip you, who's going to inspire you, who's going to fill you, one just like me, He's going to come. And as Dr. Luke tells us in his account in Luke 24, when he comes, he's going to clothe you with power from on high. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which you could say is probably the first six or seven chapters of the book of Acts. And you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, which you could probably say is probably chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 in the book of Acts. And you will be my witnesses to the very end of the earth, which is really Acts chapter 13 to the very end of the book. This book, I believe, is about the risen, the ascended Lord Jesus, now commanding and directing the growth and the expansion and the spread of the church through ordinary people like you and me in the power of the Holy Spirit. So over this weekend, we've been looking at what it looked like when the, when the gospel first got to Europe. Whether you're in your, the north or the south of this Ireland, we feel like we're living in increasingly secular times, godless times, divided times, politicized times. It was similar in the first century. And the gospel really is getting to the eastern side of Europe for the first time. Paul has tried to get to a few different places in his ministry, but the Holy Spirit prevented him. And a man from Macedonia appeared to him in a vision, and he said, come over here to Macedonia, this great area where the gospel hasn't been preached, and help us. And so that's where we get to Europe in the first century. Yesterday, we looked in the first session about what it looks like for the gospel to arrive in this contemporary, secular society. And we see there that it was for everybody, people in the upper class, people in the middle class, people in the lower class. The gospel can change and transform people's hearts, whatever sphere of society they come from. Then in our second session yesterday, we looked at what does it look like to be a world changer with this gospel? Men who have turned the world upside down have come here to Thessalonica. Why? Because the world has been turned upside down by sin. From Genesis 3 onwards, rather than being lovers of God, we have become lovers of ourselves, worshippers of ourselves, put ourselves right at the center of power rather than crowning Christ as King 
and Lord. And so when Paul and his missionary team got to Thessalonica, they literally were turning that city upside down with the gospel news that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus is the King. So if you want to reach a contemporary cork, the secular passage west and the county of this different world, you want to be a world changer, what's the lever that you're going to use to be a world changer? Well, the word changing lever is the Bible. And so we get to Berea. So let's go to Acts chapter 17 and let's read it together before we unpack it for just a few moments this morning. Paul, yesterday morning we were in Philippi, we then moved to Thessalonica, we keep moving southwest and we get to a little town called Berea. And so the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas, Acts 17, verse 10, away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all eagerness and examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Paul and Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command, for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So as we get to Berea, where we realize that we, like they in the first century, live in an increasingly secular and godless society, as we realize that the Lord Jesus Christ has commissioned us to be world changers for him one person at a time, what's the lever that we're going to use in Passage West? What's the bedrock of all that we're going to do? In service of Christ in Passage West, will we want to be a word-centered community? That's what I want you to think about this morning, to be like the Bereans who were a word-centered community. You see, from Genesis 3 onwards, there's been a war between the word of God and the lies of Satan. There's a war on. Satan seeks to subvert obedience and distort the perspective of God's people by emphasizing what God prohibits rather than what He provides, reducing God's command to questions, doubting God's sincerity, defaming God's motives, and denying the truthfulness of His threats. Listen to what one writer said. The Word of the Lord in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 brought life and order. The words of the serpent in Genesis 3 bring chaos and death. God's word is older than Satan's lies, but Satan's lies are so shrewdly expressed that they are often the most effective. So as Paul goes to minister in Berea, wanting to be a world changer, wanting to reach a secular and a godless culture, he's going to be confronted with the lies of Satan. And so are you, and so will I, as we seek to serve the Lord so as we want to be a word-centered community, every advance we make, there's always an attack. As we advance, there's an attack. As we advance, there's an attack. So let's see what it looks like to be this word-centered community. Firstly, 
the word is planted by pioneers. In areas where Christ has not been made known, in secular societies, God's looking for pioneers. The word is planted, verse 10, by pioneers, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, Thessalonica was a big, bustling city. It was arguably the capital of Macedonia, but now as they escape at night, they get to kind of an off-the-beaten-track town called Berea, probably a town of about 6,000 people. But it was a center for those who had retired, the wealthy military, political, and religious educational leaders had come to Berea to retire. But Paul's not going there to retire. Paul's going there to advance. Paul's a pioneer. Paul's zealous. Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's commissioned by God, and he wants this gospel to make an impact in a secular society. I read just over the last few weeks. In 1961, 25 students drew drew up a Christian manifesto for their lives. It reads a little like this. We're only a small group of Christian young people, yet we have determined by God's grace to live our lives according to the revolutionary teachings of Jesus. We've committed ourselves in reckless abandonment to the claims of Christ on our blood-bought lives we have no rights. Every petty personal desire must be subordinated to the supreme task of reaching the world for Christ. We are debtors. We must not allow ourselves to be swept into the soul-binding curse of modern-day materialistic thinking and living. The propagation of the faith we hold supreme, Christ is worthy of all. We must be ready to suffer for him and count it joy, to die for him and count it gain. In the light of the present spiritual warfare, anything less than absolute dedication must be considered in subordination to our master and mockery of his cause. This is our commitment. We will press forward until every person has heard. We will soon be in many different countries engaged in combat with all the forces of darkness. We look beyond the thousands to the millions, beyond the cities to the countries. The world is our goal. And our primary targets are the seemingly impenetrable areas of the communist and Muslim countries which can only receive freedom as they have opportunity to receive the truth. These countries will be reached for Christ no matter what the cost, the victory is his. Do you know who wrote that? 25 students with George Verver. The start of Operation Mobilization. Young men and women who wanted to be pioneers, who wanted the word of Christ to spread and take root in people's lives all over the world. And God's still looking for pioneers. You might be the pioneer in your family. You might be the pioneer in your apartment block. You might be the pioneer in your school. You might be the pioneer in your friendship group. One person at a time. And this is what Paul and Silas are modeling for as they go into the synagogue. The synagogue was perhaps a little bit like the Father Collins Center. It's not just where religious teaching went on. Lots of things happened there. It was like the, it was like the town council 
One historian says it was a meeting place for community issues, the sharing of meals, the adjudication of infractions of the law and traditions, where people were educated, where social welfare was distributed. It was where the people were. And so Paul, in his pioneering spirit, he wants Europe to be reached with the gospel. He wants to be a world changer for Christ. He goes to where the people are, doesn't hide, lifts his head above the parapet. Where are the people? He had this pioneering spirit, and I think we need it as well. Secondly, the word is received by local people. You need pioneers to implant the word, but then secondly, it's received by local people. Look at verse 11. Now, these Jews, compared to where we were yesterday, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were eager. They were willing. They were zealous. They were open minded. It's like some of you when you have hospitality and someone whom you love arrives at the front door. There's people who arrive at our front door who we don't love, but you don't give them a particularly warm welcome. But it's someone whom you've been looking forward to and you've been preparing all day to have them as a guest and the meal is ready and you welcome them into your home with a big warm arms around them. That's what the imagery Paul's using. With great eagerness, they, they welcome what Paul was saying, but, but they were no pushovers. They examined what Paul was saying. They didn't just receive it. Look at verse 11. They examined the Scriptures. They interrogated what Paul was saying. They studied forensically what Paul was saying, almost like they put Paul's teaching in the dock and said, is what Paul's saying really true? where he would have opened up the scrolls and going through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, proving that this, this Messiah, this Jesus, really was the Christ. He really is the King. And so as they got together in that probably small synagogue in Berea, they, they discussed and they debated with one another, is this really Jesus? Is he really the Christ? And they put Paul to the test. And you know, I think we need to do that with our friends and our family members debating and discussing who Jesus is. As they're open to you, be open to them. Listen to them. What are their struggles? What are their fears about being a follower of Christ? You need to listen as they critically seek to understand the teachings of Christ. How serious were these Bereans about this? Well, look how often they're doing it. They're doing it daily. Not just on Sunday mornings, but but daily they examined the Scriptures. Daily they discussed the Scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. But you know what's fascinating? I've grown up in church my whole life. Maybe you've never grown up in church at all, and this is all brand new to you. But when I was growing up, I used to hear preachers say, you need to be a Berean. I was like, whoa. Now, to be a Berean when the preacher said that was like, you need to study your Bibles daily. And I thought, for my whole life, that means sitting at home, reading the Bible on my own. And there's a sense in which that's true. But many historians think the Bereans actually didn't have Bibles in their homes. The synagogue held the scrolls. So actually, daily they were coming together in community, debating and discussing in fellowship together if these things were so. So when you hear about the men's night, 
And when you hear about the women's night, even though you're wrecked and tired after a hard day's work, could I encourage you to go to be in Christian community, to be in Christian formation, so that when you don't understand something, it's likely that someone else in the group understands something, or someone else is further on in Christian discipleship who can help you and encourage you to understand the teachings of Christ. Because if we're only reading the Bible on our own, while that's a wonderful thing in itself, we need to be doing it in Christian community. So important. They're doing it here in the first century. They never heard of Jesus before. The Word of God is just unleashed in this book. I'll just rattle off some things to show you. In Acts 15, it settled debates the teaching of the Bible. In Acts 15, it caused joy. In Acts 15, the Word of God maintained unity in diversity. In Acts 17, it's being preached to unbelievers who then become a Christian. So could I encourage you at Passage West Church, get a hard copy of the Bible. Now, I love having a digital copy of the Bible. But see, to memorize the Scriptures, get a hard copy of the Bible where you see passages of Scriptures in different pagination. Acts 17 is there. Acts 18 is over there. Because you know what? When I have my mobile phone sitting in front of me with the Scriptures and I get messages and notifications, the Word of God's being taken from me. I encourage you, get, bring a hard copy of the Bible to church. Put your phone on to airplane mode. Unless you're a doctor or a nurse and people need your attention at home, bring a hard copy of the Bible to church. Take away all the distractions that Satan might want to use to steal the teaching of the Word. I think that might help us be a Berean in our day and our time. Bring a hard copy of the Bible to church. Read your Bible in Christian fellowship and in community together. Read your Bible on your own. Listen to good teaching. When you drive, if you've got to commute to work, listen to good Bible teachers. Fill your mind with the Word of God. We heard Psalm 1. On his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of living water, and everything he does, he prospers. Colossians 3, 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Psalm say, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Because that cell phone that you pick up, that mobile you pick up, you know all about these algorithms that are seeking to only affirm perhaps sinful tendencies in your life or godless tendencies in your life where the word of God speaks to you with transformative power. Do everything you can to be in the Bible. Let God unleash his power through it. It was happening here at Berea. They were examining it. They were discussing it daily to see if these things were so. But thirdly, the word is believed. It's not just received. So Paul's the pioneer. Local people receive it. But now thirdly, local people believe it. It's a life-transforming word. The word is believed, verse 12, by different groups of people. Look at the different people who've responding. Verse 12, many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing. Why do people believe the Bible? Many people reject it. But why do people believe the Bible? because the God of this age is trying to keep people's minds and eyes blinded to the teachings of Christ, 
but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So when the Holy Spirit moves, he is the initiator, if you want to get technical, in regeneration. Regeneration is the first step when we become a Christian. And God, the Holy Spirit, begins to open up our eyes, to open up our hearts, to see the beauty and to see the glory and to see the majesty of Christ. And so the God of this age is waging warfare against the Spirit of God, but as He is within us, is greater, and He's moving in passageways, He starts to open up unbelievers' eyes to see that's really Jesus. Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive. It's like it has hands. It lays hold of me. It's like it's got feet. It runs after me. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, who was in a Bedford jail for seven years, it was said of him, if you cut Bunyan, he would have bled Bibline. These great heroes of the faith immersed themselves in the Scriptures. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is, what is it? It's living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. 1 Peter tells us, the grass withers and the flowers of the field fade, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Men and women, this is the lever that will turn Passage West upside down. It's God's Word by God's Spirit. It happened here at Berea. Jews in the synagogue are coming to faith. Greek, perhaps business women, are coming to faith. Greek men are coming to faith as the Spirit begins to open blind eyes. And let me take you on a bit of a jet tour of people who believed based on the hearing of the Word of God. Just, just listen to what happens. Acts 4, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Acts 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of even the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts eleven twenty one. The Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 13, verse 44. On the next Sabbath, think about this in Passage West and here. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Acts 14, verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Acts 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Acts 19, verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and grew in part. The word of the Lord is your lever in Passage West. Could I encourage you? Take a big gamble and ask that friend. Do you want to read the Bible with me? Do you know that's being a world changer? When you hear the world world changer, you go, I could never do that. It's actually that big step to go, will you read the gospel of Mark with me? And I'll buy you coffee the first week, and if you hate it, you never have to do it again. That's being a world changer, one person at a time. Mahat Gandhi said this, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but often you treat the Bible as though it's nothing more than a piece of literature. Let me challenge you. Pray about asking that person, will you read the Bible with me? We'll buy you a coffee and pray, Lord, would you open blind eyes to see Jesus. How is it that that person who you meet with over coffee to read Mark's gospel becomes a Christian? 
but we're involved in the process. Yes, it's, it's all God's work in regeneration, but he uses people. And Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans 10, verse 14, how, he says then, can, can your friend or your family member call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And then he says of you and me, when we, we ask that friend to read the Gospel of Mark with us, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What a challenge. The Word of God is brought by pioneers. It's received by local people. It's believed by local people. But fourthly, it's opposed by satanic forces. Satan hates the gospel being on the march here in Cork and in Passage. And so he will oppose it, verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica, about 50 miles northeast of Berea, learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Satan and his emissaries will do everything to stop the advance of the gospel taking root in people's hearts and minds. He wants to create chaos. That's what he's been doing from Genesis 3. And Charles Coulson and Nancy Piercy wrote this note about our current society and how we feel as a people. They said all the ideologies, all the utopian promises that have marked this last century have proven utterly bankrupt. People have achieved what modernism presented as life's great shining purpose, individual autonomy. The right to do what one chooses. Be who you are. You do you. They didn't say you do you, but no. You do you. Yet this has not produced promised freedom. Instead, it has led to the loss of community. There's a pandemic of loneliness. A loss of civility. We have discovered as a humanity that we cannot live with a chaos that inevitably results from a choice divorced from morality. A life lived outside the will of God. One writer said, reflecting on Adam and Eve, choosing to listen to the lies of Satan rather than the word of God, whereas Adam and Eve had life in the garden, they now have death. Where they had pleasure, they now have pain. Where they had abundance, they now have meager sustenance by toil. Where they had perfect harmony with God and each other, they now only have alienation and conflict. And so as we want to be world changers for Christ, what we do in all of our weaknesses, in all of our frailties, in all of our humanity, we simply bring the Word of God to that family member, to that friend, and even if they reject us, we still pray for them and move on to the next person. It's simple, but it's hard. It's bringing that Word of God to those who are lost. Satan's opposing it. But lastly, that's not the final word. The word is opposed, but fifthly, the word is advanced by God's spirit. The word keeps moving, must get to the ends of the earth. So look at how the word is advanced, verses 14 and 15. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way by the sea, but Silas remained there 
And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after having received a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. It's interesting here. We don't have time to stop, but some stay and some go. The gospel must keep moving. The gospel must keep advancing to the next town, to the next city. But churches also need to be built up. So some stay and some need to go. But the word of God remains centered whether you stay or whether you go. See, it's Spurgeon said this, and it's my final thought for you over this weekend. He said, a great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt it is a very proper and right thing to do. Yet I always notice that. When there are most books of that kind written to defend the gospel, actually the gospel itself is not being preached or shared. He said that suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion, a full-grown lion, the king of the beasts. There he is in his cage. And here comes all the soldiers of the army to fight for the lion. Well, I should suggest to them, if they would not object and feel it was humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back, open the door, and let the lion out. I believe that that would be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of itself. And then he said this, the best apology and defense for the gospel of Jesus Christ is to let the gospel out. Never mind about defending Deuteronomy or the whole book of the Pentateuch or all the questions of your friends. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out and dare see who would approach him. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he will defend himself. Let me challenge you, Passage West Baptist Church. You're doing so well. But let the lion out. Take up that challenge. Text that person. You want to read the Bible with me? Some of them will say no. Continue to pray for them. Go to the next person and let the lion out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how the gospel got to Europe for the very first time so many hundreds of years ago, and yet we sit here today in the southernmost part of Ireland knowing that the gospel has got to us. Father, I pray for some in this room who, in a sense, have been looking on this morning, hearing all this talk about the Bible, about the Word of God, and about Christ. And I pray, Father, that if your spirit is working in their hearts this morning, that they themselves might repent to turn from living for themselves, live for Christ, come to the cross and see you, our Father, making your own Son who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We thank you, our Father, that your own Son bore in his own body our sin 
so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Thank you, our Father, that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is eternal life. Father, I pray for some here this morning that they might see Jesus, that they might follow Jesus, that they might repent and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Father, for many of us who are Christians, we realize at times we are often weak. Father, at times we are cowardly. Father, at times we shrink back. We question whether that person could really change, could really follow Christ. Would, would they ever want to read the Bible? Father, would you help us in your Spirit's power to let the lion out in this contemporary society? In Jesus' name, amen.